I wonder what it would have been like to be there. To be there the night of the Last Supper, a disciple of Jesus. To wonder that, I guess it's best if we go back a bit further. I wonder what it would have been like to hear the stories emerging of this man whose teachings were powerful and authoritative, whose interpretations of the scriptures were revolutionary, whose words could cast out demons and heal wounds, who willingly ate with sinners. I wonder what it would have been like to hear that a rabbi was calling not the educated and the well-studied, but tax collectors, fishers, and normal people. And then what it would have been like for him to call, well, you. I wonder what it would have been like to watch him teach, to have this person that you travel with listen to and know, stand up in front of people and reveal incredible truths in new ways, to hear his parables and be amazed, but also confused by them. I wonder what it would have been like to run to him on your ship, terrified and certain that the storm that you are in will take your lives, and then to have him stand up, speak to the wind and the waves, and tell them to be calm, and then to have them listen. I wonder what it would have been like to see him reach into the lives of the demon-possessed, the sick and the marginalized, and bring healing and hope. And I wonder what it would have been like to see him scold and correct the most powerful people in your day, leaving you with a sense of awe at his boldness and a sinking worry about what might happen if he continued to upset this balance. I wonder what it would have been like to pass out only five fish and two loaves to a crowd of thousands, but never run out. In fact, coming back with more than you started with, all because he blessed it. I wonder what it would have been like to hear him start to predict things, scary things, hard things. He was so powerful that even the wind and the waves would listen, and yet here he was telling you that he was going to suffer, and worse, that he was going to die. Each time you'd get past these haunting predictions and keep on with your amazing life journeying with him, he would bring it back up. Once, twice, three times. But you still couldn't believe it. I wonder what it would have been like to hear about the kingdom of God, this unbelievable place where the poor came first, where the children were our models for how to receive it, where women and men are equal, where widows and their small copper coins are worth more than boastful and showy acts of giving, where service and not power are praised. Dare you believe that it could ever be this way? Well, you are a disciple of Jesus and you've seen what he can do, and so maybe, just maybe, this is a picture of something real. 
I wonder what it would have been like to know that you are a disciple of Jesus as he rides into Jerusalem being praised and worshipped. Here you're seeing the most tangible display that everyone else is finally realizing what you have known for a long time. That Jesus is truly amazing. I wonder what it would have been like to arrive at the festival of unleavened bread where you will be eating the Passover meal together. Memories of Jesus' morbid predictions perhaps tucked away at the back of your mind. You look forward to this ritual, this familiar practice, and of course, you'll all be eating it together. So you ask Jesus where you will go to eat. And he tells you to go into the city where a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him and tell the owner of the home that he's going to enter that the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? It will be there and ready for you. Okay, you say to Jesus, oddly specific, but you go and you do it. You've learned long ago that sometimes you just don't ask questions. And everything unfolds exactly the way that he says. It is then that perhaps you begin to think that this isn't an ordinary day, that this isn't an ordinary Passover. I wonder what it would have been like to sit at that table enjoying your meal and then having Jesus announce that one of you will betray him. Maybe a silence descends on all of you as you not only question yourself, but the people to your right and to your left. I wonder what it would have been like to have that conversation then set aside and Jesus takes up the bread. Okay, you might think we're, we're back on track. We'll break the bread together, we'll eat it. This is familiar. This is Passover. But to this familiar ritual, Jesus adds life-altering words. He takes the bread, he gives thanks, and he breaks it, saying, take it, this is my body. Then he picks up the cup and he gives thanks and he offers it to you to drink, saying, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And that feeling that you got that this isn't an ordinary Passover, has begun to fill you. Memories of Jesus' ominous predictions that he would die are coming to you. But alongside that are pictures of the kingdom of God that you've come to know through Jesus. It's all so much to hold at once. I wonder what it was like. As we continue on in our Lenten journey through the Gospel of Mark, we arrive at the Lord's Supper. If we think in terms of story elements, the beginning of the Gospel of Mark builds up what we know of Jesus. They gain familiarity for us. They establish his ministry. But scattered through the buildup are predictions of Jesus' death and resurrection. As we get closer and closer, the plot begins to get more direct and pick up. And by the time we arrive at our passage today, so many things are in motion that just cannot be stopped. Every single word out of Jesus' mouth in our text today is prophetic. 
how they'll find their location for the Passover, what they should say to the homeowner. And it all takes place exactly the way that he says. Then he identifies who will betray him, that his body will break, that his blood will be shed for us, for a new covenant with God. And we know, though the disciples wouldn't yet know, that this too will come to pass exactly the way that Jesus says. The momentum is building and taking us to what comes next. But on our reading today, that next part, the trial, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus has not yet come. And so we sit at a meal. If we set aside our urge to fill the story, fill it in with what comes next in the text, we can't help but wonder what would it have been like? The disciples didn't know it was their last supper together. After all, the Gospels wouldn't be written for decades, and the headings that neatly divide our scriptures would be added long after that. So while we have a heading for this section in our scripture, literally called the Last Supper, the disciples wouldn't have been calling it that. They may very well have thought that they'd have more time more years with Jesus. You see, there's a difference between knowing something by being told it's coming and knowing something because we experience it. As has already been mentioned, this week marks the one-year anniversary of the World Health Organization declaring the pandemic. I am preaching exactly one year less one day from the first time that I, or Fort Gary for that matter, recorded an online service. As a result, we've had our own share of last moments over this past year, moments we didn't realize might be our last. My last normal day was March 10th of last year. Lincoln, Andrew, and I had returned from vacation and we were getting back into the swing of things. The next day, everything changed. I've thought of my last visit with some of my friends, the last meal I shared with my parents, the last hug I had with my niece and nephew, the last time I saw my best friends from closer than six feet apart. Though there is much to enjoy and much to be grateful for every single day, we can't ignore the reality that life is often filled with these reminders of the last time we did something. We know that this will one day end and we're going to be able to re-enter these spaces, relationships, and experiences. But right now, we still have this list of lasts. To some degree, I think many of our brains were protecting us from the reality that we now live. I was in complete denial that the pandemic would last more than a few weeks when we first began shutting things down. I didn't want to think about what the implications of a long-term pandemic might be, and yet here I am 52 weeks later, which is more than a few, fully aware of what that looks like. Because it's different to know something because it's told to you and to know something because you've experienced it. 
the disciples didn't know this was their last supper. But Jesus did. Jesus told them again and again that he was going to suffer and that he was going to die. Perhaps their brains protected them from that reality, or they hoped that this too was one of Jesus' parables. So he told them one more time. He took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, saying, Take it, this is my body. His body would break, but like the bread, it would be for us. He took the wine, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. His blood would shed, and like the bread, that too would be for us. Not only that, but it would represent something new and amazing, a new covenant with God. Even at this, the disciples wouldn't understand what was about to take place. But Jesus was making something clear for all of us. He knew what the road ahead held. He would experience it, and he would live it, and it would be for us. When we gather and take communion, like we're going to do in a few minutes together today, we are remembering this last supper. We are recognizing the body broken, the blood shed, and accepting them because they're for us. For the last few years, I have a group of friends that um, gather together and talk about life. Uh, Sometimes we talk about a book. We used to call ourselves a book group until we realized that that was very dishonest. (laughs) Sometimes we'll discuss a podcast episode, but most of the time it's just an opportunity to gather and to discuss matters of faith. We began practicing what we call extravagant communion together, making a full and extravagant meal out of the communion elements. It's one of my favorite nights. We offer, we all offer to bring something to the table, but it always includes freshly baked bread, always more than enough. And someone will take in the Bible and read the communion passage found in 1 Corinthians 11. We will pray and give thanks for the food and then sit and talk and take our fill of communion. This practice of ours was inspired by a recognition that communion first took place at a meal. It was a time of fellowship, connection, and eating. So in our practice, we want to emulate all of those things, giving us ample time to reflect on who Christ is and what it means to have his body broken and his blood shed for every single one of us. Extravagant communion is one of my favorite spiritual practices in my life because it reminds me that what Jesus did was extravagant. Not in the sense of the word that it means it's excessive, but in the sense that it was a total outpouring of love for all to receive. This phrase, outpouring of love, always reminds me of the woman that Pastor Ruth talked about today and Pastor Carl spoke about last week, the one who anoints Jesus. In this particular extravagant gesture, she pours her love onto Jesus in the form of a precious ointment. Her gift is for Jesus, and it prepares Jesus to journey closer to his own gift of extravagance. But in his case, it wouldn't just be for one person, but for all. 
given freely with the hope that all will be drawn to it. Now, unlike the experience of the disciples, I don't have to wonder what it will look like to have Jesus' gift before me because that's the reality in which we live. We live in the hope of the cross. The hope that means all people are made in the image of God are all welcome to sit at the table to share the meal, to have the bread broken and the wine poured for us. The meal that Jesus shared with his disciples serves as a picture of what his death and resurrection would do, create ample seating and provisions for all, setting an extravagant table for all who wish to sit, give thanks, and partake. You see, the extravagance isn't just found in in what's being offered, but in the fact that it's offered to all. A banquet table that, like the fish and the loaves that I mentioned earlier, never runs out. Never runs out of room. Never runs out of capacity. Never runs out of love. There is more than enough. There's more than enough. This is one of the most beautiful images I have ever known. And it's even more beautiful as I consider the last time I had a meal with friends that was crowded, full, and extravagant. My heart longs for that experience again one day. But it longs even harder for the opportunity to sit at the table with Christ. I wonder what it will be like to sit at the table, to experience its openness and its welcome, to know there will always be enough, to bask in the fellowship with others. I wonder what it will be like to eat and drink our fill, to receive what is before us and never be in want. I wonder what it will look like when we're seated at this table in the kingdom of God together, bathed in the extravagance of Christ's love forever. With that in mind, let's turn our attention to the Lord's Supper together. Let's take our seats at the table and contemplate the gift of Jesus in the symbol of the bread and the cup. I hope you've had a chance to prepare the elements for yourself at home. I invite you to take the bread now. And like Jesus taught us, to offer thanks on your own or with your own household as you watch. I'm going to give you a moment to do that and then close in prayer on my own. But first we'll give a moment. So I invite you to take the bread, to break it and to give thanks together in your home. Jesus, we thank you for the bread, for your body which was broken for us, so that we might experience the love of grace and grace of God in its fullness, in its extravagance. Amen. Take and eat. 
the body of Christ broken for you. I invite you now to take the cup and like Jesus taught us, again, offer thanks on your own or with your household. I'll give you another moment for that, to do that together, and then I'll close with my prayer of my own again. Let us give thanks for the cup. Jesus, we thank you for the cup, for your blood which was shed for us, that we might step into a new covenant with God. Amen. Take and drink the blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.